Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. With the goal of educating and empowering women, each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, friends, and welcome back to As a Woman. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and REI. I am a fertility doctor. And today I want to talk about one of the topics I get asked about the most, and that is implantation or the luteal phase. I find there is so much about this two-week wait that we don't talk about. And so if you're trying to get pregnant naturally and you are tracking your cycles and you've ovulated and you've done the deed and now you're in the waiting period, this is the time where there's so much confusion. There are a lot of old wives tales or fertility myths out there. And there's just a lot of basic biology about our bodies that we don't know because we don't talk about it. And I know from personal experience, when we were trying and we were tracking and we were having a hard time, I would pay attention to every single symptom or sign or little clue from my body, really hoping that that would be a clue that implantation was happening and I was getting pregnant. So today I want to break down what's actually happening in the luteal phase, what actually happens when you have implantation, and review some of those basics just so we can understand this phase of our cycle the best. This is just basic biology, so even if you're not trying to get pregnant, understanding your luteal phase can explain some of the symptoms you may have if you have PMS or if you have really symptomatic, you know, periods or you're hormonally sensitive. Before we dive into the luteal phase of implantation, I want to take a minute to do fertility in the news. So this is going to be about the Kardashians and oh my goodness, Kourtney Kardashian gives us so much juicy fertility information since she and Travis have been undergoing IVF and trying to get pregnant. So this may not be for young ears. If you're listening in the car or you have a little one around, you might want to skip forward like three minutes. But to dive in, there's two big things I want to talk about overall miss. But number one is she said, and she was quoted, and this made the news that her fertility medications put her into menopause. Now, this is not true. The quote is actually, the medication they've been giving me, they put me into menopause, literally into menopause. Now, it's not menopause. Literally, it's not menopause. But how some of the medications work, and I'm presuming she's talking about a medication called Lupron. Lupron is a medication that can be used for IVF to suppress the body or prevent ovulation. I always try to describe IVF as a combination of suppressing the body's natural desire to allow one egg to grow and ovulate and simultaneously stimulating multiple eggs to grow at the same time. That's the art of trying to get more than one egg to grow. Now, how Lupron works is it tells the brain to stop sending out FSH and LH, and these are the hormones that normally stimulate the ovary to produce hormones. One of these hormones is estrogen, which is the hormone made from when eggs are growing. Now, yes, ovarian failure or menopause is when the ovaries fail to make estrogen because they're no longer growing eggs because you're out of eggs. 
And in this circumstance, your brain is sending out tons of the hormone FSH or follicle stimulating hormone trying to get an egg to grow. So Lupron really doesn't do that. It's actually the opposite. The brain's not sending out any FSH. And that is why you don't have any eggs growing at that minute. However, the net result to the body can sometimes be the same, meaning both menopause and using Lupron, even though they have very different mechanisms of action, they actually can make you have low estrogen symptoms. And some of these symptoms can include fatigue, headache, emotional instability, hot flashes, overall feeling like dry and just not yourself. So I can understand why somebody might tell her she has menopause symptoms, and that can be easily confusing. But Lupron, given in IVF cycles, is a very short-acting drug, meaning it only lasts days, unlike menopause, which lasts forever. And importantly, and something I think a lot of people got confused on, going through IVF does not cause menopause in the future. It does not impact your future eggs. It does not cause you to run out of eggs early. And I think that's the fear when people heard this. So when we think about it, I like to imagine a group of eggs comes out of the vault inside the ovary. In a natural cycle, one of these will ovulate and the rest will die. And in an IVF cycle, our goal is to get all of those eggs to grow and take them out of the body and not let any of them die. But we can't tap into the vault or impact future eggs, and we can't cause you to run out of eggs earlier. The second juicy piece of gossip or news that she released was that she's been trying to boost her fertility by drinking his semen to deal with abnormal thyroid levels per her doctor's advice. Here's the quote. I can't remember what he said, if it was low or high, but he told us while he told me that the thing that would help was drinking Travis's cum like four times a week. What? I, I cannot even with this. First of all, there's absolutely no evidence that drinking semen is going to help with thyroid levels at all. So let's just think of this from a science standpoint. What semen has in it? Okay, so semen has in it carbohydrates, protein, and some vitamins, but nothing that's actually going to impact your thyroid in any way. It won't improve fertility or decrease fertility. It is not going to matter if you swallow semen. It's going to just be digested like anything else that you swallow. And there's nothing special about what is in semen that's going to help your thyroid out. Whereas certain vegetables you can eat and supplements you can take potentially could help your thyroid much more. And in transparency, there is one very, very small study with 97 women out of the Netherlands that did show that swallowing semen during oral sex potentially had those women having a less chance of a recurrent miscarriage than people who did not have oral sex overall. But this was very small and more research would need to be made before making this a claim. It was just an observation. But importantly in this context, Kourtney Kardashian is not having recurrent miscarriages, at least not what she is publicizing. She is 42 years old. And as we know, most 42-year-olds have a really hard time getting pregnant. The natural rate of getting pregnant at age 42 is going to be around 3% per month. So it's not surprising that she's going to need to go through IVF. She's even had hard times getting eggs to grow in her IVF cycles, meaning she's probably having a low ovarian reserve. And again, nothing about swallowing semen is going to improve that aspect of fertility or her thyroid. So that was a little breakdown from fertility in the news. And I hope you enjoyed understanding 
why some of what you hear in mainstream media is just not fertility facts. All right, so implantation and the luteal phase, my favorite, favorite topic. I want to take two minutes and describe the menstrual cycle because if you do not understand the basics of the menstrual cycle, you cannot understand what is happening in the luteal phase when a pregnancy is implanting. The best way that I can describe this is what I alluded to earlier. I like to use this analogy that I made up. If you imagine there is a vault inside your ovary, when you are born, your vault is full. Every month, a group of eggs comes out of your vault. From that group, each egg grows inside a follicle. The brain is going to send out follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH. FSH is a well-named hormone, and it works to stimulate one of these follicles to grow. As that follicle grows, the egg matures, it makes estrogen. Estrogen, at a high enough level, triggers the brain to then send out a surge of LH. Once LH is surging, that is then the stimulus for the follicle to rupture, allowing the egg to be released, and that is ovulation. After ovulation, the egg is hopefully getting picked up by the fallopian tube where fertilization can take place in the next 24 hours. That egg is only good for 24 hours. What is then happening is that follicle is reforming into a cyst called the corpus luteum. I really think this is the coolest thing about the body. The corpus luteum makes many hormones, but the number one thing that it makes is progesterone. Importantly, progesterone stimulation is not a constant meaning the corpus luteum is under control from LH pulses from the brain in the luteal phase. So if we were to have a IV in you and be drawing constant progesterone levels, we would see it fluctuate up and down anywhere between 3 to 40 nanograms per milliliter as we are watching these LH surges stimulate more and less progesterone. So up and down and up and down. That is normal for the luteal phase. So we are expecting a normal variety of progesterone in that time. Once you have an implantation, if you have one, then you're going to have the pregnancy, HCG, is going to stimulate a more constant production of progesterone. So the luteal phase and pregnancy are very different states, even though they overlap. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their Essential for Women 18 Plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence, so every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients, and they have industry-leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. 
With so many collections to explore, there is a caraway for every cook. Their internet-famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com A-A-W to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. So let's think about what happens if you don't get pregnant. In a cycle where you do not get pregnant, your progesterone is rising and falling between 3 to 40 for the entire luteal phase until the corpus luteum dies. Interestingly, the corpus luteum has an expiration date. Typically, it is about 14 days after it starts to be formed. So after ovulation, you have about 14 days. The corpus luteum then dissolves. It cannot live past then. When it dissolves, your progesterone is going to drop. And when your progesterone drops, that is the signal to the uterus that you no longer have the ability to get pregnant that month. And it is the time to shed the lining and have your menstrual period. What is happening concurrently is another group of follicles is coming out of the vault, another little group of eggs, getting ready to start the process all over again. Now, we feel things in our body when progesterone is rising and falling. Interestingly, in the follicular phase, the first part of a cycle when a follicle is growing, you don't have any progesterone. That is an estrogen dominant phase. Also why I hate that term estrogen dominance because every woman should be estrogen dominant for at least two weeks of the cycle. So in that stage of the cycle, you have high estrogen, you have no progesterone, totally normal in the follicular phase. This is often why you have more energy in the follicular phase and you're really productive and you're really focused because you have all estrogen, go estrogen, go estrogen. After ovulation, you suddenly now have progesterone, progesterone, the progestating hormone, gestating, getting pregnant. Progesterone is preparing you to get pregnant. What does it want you to do? Not hardcore exercise. It wants you to eat some food. It would like you to rest. It is preparing your body to be a place for a pregnancy. This is why in the luteal phase of your cycle, when you have the corpus luteum making progesterone, you're going to be a little more fatigued, a little more tired, a little more hungry, maybe craving certain foods. You might not notice that you're as mentally sharp. Anybody who's been pregnant who's ever used the term pregnancy brain, that's because pregnancy is also a high progesterone environment and you're just not quite as quick. It's a more restful state for the body as it's preparing nutrients for the hopeful or possible pregnancy. So this is the normal cycle when there's not a pregnancy involved, follicles come out of a vault, FSH stimulates an egg to grow. As the egg grows, it makes estrogen. Estrogen triggers the brain to release LH. LH then tells the body to have ovulation and LH then stimulates the corpus luteum throughout the luteal phase to make progesterone impulses. Corpus luteum dies at two weeks when there's no pregnancy. All right, let's talk about what happens when there might be a pregnancy. So 
fertilization has to happen within 24 hours of the egg being released. This is why timing a pregnancy if you're trying to get pregnant can be really difficult. What we know is that sperm can live in the female reproductive tract for up to five days. So this is why your apps or people tell you it's important to have sex before you ovulate because then you can get some sperm there waiting for that egg and because you only have a 24-hour window when that egg has been released to have sperm get the job done. So if you're trying to get pregnant, you'll hear people say, oh, the fertile window is, you know, five or six days ending on the day of ovulation. Day of ovulation is the absolute best day to have intercourse if you can time it. And then we recommend any sex after that is just recreational. Let's say sperm and egg are in the same place at the same time. Fertilization actually occurs in the fallopian tube. That is when the embryo forms. So egg plus sperm and then embryo forms. That embryo then starts to divide. It's about six to eight cells on day three. It's about two to 300 cells on day five to six. And that's called a blastocyst. That is when the embryo starts to enter into the uterine cavity. So those first few days of life are completely in the fallopian tube, dependent on the fallopian tube environment to be awesome. And it's migrating its way to the uterine cavity. That is why if there is scar tissue in the fallopian tubes, embryos can get stuck in the fallopian tube. And that is called an ectopic pregnancy when a pregnancy implants in the fallopian tube. So if that embryo is making its way, day zero is ovulation, day one is fertilization, five or six, it is getting into that uterine cavity. We typically say that implantation occurs immediately thereafter, somewhere in the day five to day nine range. So once that embryo arrives into the uterine cavity, it is able to start implanting into the uterus. A few things. What is actually happening with implantation? What is happening is that the embryo, the outer cells will become the placenta, submit enzymes called proteases that eat away at the uterine wall. And then the embryo is able to send out its placenta and start to interlock the placental blood vessels with the maternal circulation that is in the uterus. That's crazy and amazing and so impressive. And sometimes it hurts. So you can sometimes get implantation cramps or you can get implantation bleeding. And so you might hear somebody talking about cramping or bleeding a week after ovulation and say, I wonder if that's implantation. Is that bleeding or spotting due to that placenta starting to invade into the uterus? And certainly we can see this. And so if I have a patient who has some spotting in the mid-luteal, middle of the luteal phase, about a week after ovulation, I actually don't freak out about that. I say, ooh, maybe that's implantation bleeding. Maybe that's a good sign. Now, when that embryo starts to implant, the other thing that happens is from this stage forward, the HCG, human chorionic gonadotropin, the embryo makes HCG and it can enter into the maternal circulation. HCG does a few things in the body. One thing is that it now provides a more constant stimulus of progesterone production from the corpus luteum. So once there's a pregnancy, we say that the pregnancy rescues the corpus luteum. The corpus luteum is no longer dependent on the LH pulses from the brain. It now is getting a constant stimulus from the pregnancy. So instead of rising and falling in these pulsatile fashion that it had to do for the beginning of the luteal phase, it now can constantly be stimulated and we see a sharp rise in progesterone levels 
from implantation and onward in pregnancy, at least for the first part of implantation. Once the placenta takes over progesterone production around nine to 10 weeks, then we see a nice steady state because the placenta is making it. But that corpus luteum gets rescued by the pregnancy, meaning it was gonna die at day 14 and now it's not because it's getting stimulated by HCG. The other thing is that now you have constant stimulation of that HCG and your progesterone levels are much higher than they were when you were rising between three to 40. With this increase in progesterone, some of the very early pregnancy symptoms that some people have are from this high progesterone. That's what causes these symptoms. You can notice breast tenderness, nausea, food sensitivity, smell sensitivity or changes, appetite changes, GI changes, whether it's bloating or gas or diarrhea or constipation, headaches and mood changes. Those are all progesterone-based symptoms that we are reporting right there. Now, a few logistics. Ovulation tests, if you buy an over-the-counter OPK, ovulation predictor test, that test is checking LH. So it is checking for the LH surge. When you use an OPK, you're only caring about the first time that you get a positive test because that's the surge. You don't need to keep taking them after because it's going to rise and fall throughout the entire luteal phase. The pregnancy test that you take checks HCG. And so it is only going to be positive once HCG is going to be into your bloodstream. And that is once implantation has already started to occur. So usually the very, very, very earliest you could ever get a positive HCG is going to be on around like post-ovulation, you know, day seven to nine. Really is hard to get a positive before then. Some of the tests have different sensitivity levels of HCG. And this is why your doctors and fertility clinics are super OCD. And we're going to tell you that for like an IVF cycle, a urine pregnancy test, which usually has a sensitivity around 20 to 25, I use of HCG is not going to be sensitive enough. We're going to want you to come in and get a blood test, which is a much more sensitive test for pregnancy because HCG is only made in the body when you're pregnant. That's the only thing that makes HCG. So if you get a positive pregnancy test, you're pregnant. And I get asked this question all the time. I had a really faint positive pregnancy test. Am I really pregnant? And the answer is yes. Only exception is if you are doing fertility treatments and you use a trigger shot. Trigger shots are HCG shots. So trigger shots have HCG and that stimulates the follicle to be released and mature into those final stages of ovulation, just like an LH surge would. It has to do with the LH and HCG receptors being similar, which makes a lot of sense since LH can stimulate progesterone and so can HCG. This is also why you may hear somebody say, I'm testing out my trigger shot. And if you're not in the fertility world, this may not make tons of sense to you. So if I give a person a trigger shot of HCG, they're going to get a positive pregnancy test after. So if they take pregnancy tests until they're negative, and then you keep taking them and you get a subsequent positive, that's considered testing out the trigger. The trigger is gone, and now you know you're actually pregnant. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. 
Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer is upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com A-A-W. Rocketmoney.com A-A-W. Another important fact to clear up is testing progesterone levels. So very often, a doctor may recommend that you check a day 21 progesterone to try to confirm that you ovulated. This is all based on how the body naturally works. So remember, there's no progesterone in the follicular phase. Once you ovulate, you get progesterone made from the corpus luteum, anywhere between 3 to 40 nanograms. So if you take a progesterone test a week after ovulation, what you're going to notice is that you're then going to have a progesterone of three or above, and anything more than three is totally sufficient. There are people out there that for whatever reason will say it needs to be 10 or above to be a sufficient ovulation, and that is just not data proven. Where that data comes from is from early pregnancy data showing that if you're pregnant and your progesterone is less than 10, it's more likely to not be a good pregnancy, to either be a bad implantation, maybe it's genetically abnormal and it's not stimulating progesterone production the same way, maybe it's in an abnormal location like the fallopian tube. So a progesterone less than 10 when you're pregnant is not a great sign. However, a progesterone of less than 10, but more than three when you're just in the luteal phase, doing a day 21 progesterone or a seven days after ovulation progesterone test is totally fine. That's telling us that you ovulated. That's the only piece of data we can get from a day 21 progesterone. Did you ovulate? Yes, no. Testing progesterone in pregnancy is a totally different ballgame. So again, once that pregnancy starts to implant in, you may or may not start to have symptoms of high progesterone. And every person is totally different but you're going to get those symptoms if you're going to get them, usually that week before your period is due or due to be missed. And some people have nothing. They absolutely don't feel a change. Some people know immediately that they are pregnant. 
I can say from my successful pregnancies versus my miscarriages, I had this highly sensitive change in smell. And then the weirdest thing, I felt like I could smell everything for miles around me. And I didn't have that in my pregnancies that were not successful. Part of this may be due to the fact that the body is highly selective. The human body cannot be pregnant that many times. So it is very picky at which embryos are allowed to make it on to babies. And part of what it's doing is it's checking for competency of the embryo and how cells are dividing and the feedback. And one of these feedback mechanisms is HCG, meaning if the HCG stimulus is not strong enough, it won't make enough progesterone. And if there's not enough progesterone being made from the corpus luteum, what's going to happen? It's going to die. If it's not getting stimulated, it's going to die. That's going to cause you to shed the lining. A really interesting study, because you know I'm really nerdy and I love the luteal phase. This study was published in the New England Journal of Medicine forever ago in 1988 by Wilcox et al. So Alan Wilcox. I mean, some of you were not even born when this study was published. And this study is called The Incidence of Early Loss of Pregnancy. And in the study, very interestingly, what they did to women who were trying to get pregnant is they brought them in every single day for a highly sensitive urine HCG test. And they just tested them every single day. They didn't tell them anything. They just collected the data. And so interesting, 22% of women had a positive pregnancy that then went away, what we call a chemical pregnancy, a pregnancy only present on a test never seen inside the uterus. 22% had a pregnancy and their period still came on time. So implantation started, it was stopped, and then the period still came on time or only a day or two late. So isn't that fascinating? These people had no idea that they were in the early stages of pregnancy or having chemical pregnancy loss, but 22% is not a small number, meaning many pregnancies are lost before people even realize they are pregnant. And that's important to realize that the body is highly selective And also another reason why some people do not advocate for taking these highly sensitive tests on cycle day seven to nine. You might catch more of these chemical pregnancies, but what does that mean long-term? It's still considered a loss, but it's questionable. I don't know. I was always an early pregnancy test taker, so I can understand that maybe it's not right for somebody, but I am a data person. So you can tell me it's the wrong thing to do, but I was doing it anyway. But hopefully that helps you understand that the embryo is responsible for the corpus luteum. And if you get a positive pregnancy test and you have a low progesterone, that's most likely a sign that the embryo is not doing its job and stimulating the body to make enough progesterone from the corpus luteum. There are some studies that suggest supplementing with progesterone from after the time of ovulation may help women with recurrent pregnancy loss. Maybe there's a subset of people who have good embryos that still don't have the right competency to stimulate progesterone production. But in those people, if you start progesterone with a positive pregnancy test, it's too late. You need to start it a few days after ovulation. So if you have had multiple miscarriages and you're considering, could my progesterone be low or a doctor checked it in pregnancy, you should talk to them about starting progesterone after ovulation in the next cycles that you're trying. 
And to clarify, it is not wrong if you go in and you're four to five weeks pregnant and you get an HCG test and it's positive and you get a progesterone test and it's low. If your doctor says, I'd like to start you on progesterone because this is lower than I like to see it in pregnancy, that's not wrong at all. They're doing everything they can at that given moment. Yes, it would be better in the future to start that progesterone after ovulation because that's when you really need those good high progesterone levels is during that implantation stage. But if you're being caught at an early pregnancy test with a low progesterone and your doctor recommends it, absolutely take the progesterone. Very low risk, potential benefit. But if that pregnancy doesn't work out, ask about taking it in a future cycles after ovulation. Okay, a few things at the very end here to talk about is pregnancy dating. One is that just understanding that the corpus luteum typically lives about 14 days is you can figure out when you ovulate in your cycle by subtracting 14 from your cycle length. So if your cycle is 30 days, 30 minus 14, you should ovulate around day 16. And if your cycle is 36 days, 36 minus 14 would be 22. And that's the day that you ovulate. And if your cycle is 24 days, 24 minus 14 is 10. And that's the day you ovulate. So the luteal phase is constant. The follicular phase is what varies person to person or cycle to cycle. The time it takes to grow a follicle and to ovulate it. Now, pregnancy dating. What is so confusing is that we have all this great information now but we didn't and women were pregnant way in the past. And what we used to know is the only sign was from when you would have a period. So they didn't know when implantation happened. We didn't have ultrasound. So women were dated and the weeks were counted from when your period started. Because if we take all the menstruating people and we put them in a pot, on average, the most common cycle lengths are about 27, 28 days and ovulation happens around 14 days or two weeks when you ovulate, you're considered two weeks pregnant. Isn't that wild? And so even though your pregnancy is 40 weeks and you have about 38 weeks, which is actually nine and a half months from the time that you ovulate until you get pregnant, we consider you two weeks pregnant at the time of ovulation. And so what also happens is when we put an embryo back in somebody, the embryo, we usually do transfers at that implantation stage, day five or six. So that day five embryo, I mean, the embryo is five days old. Like we know exactly how pregnant you are. You're two weeks, five days pregnant because it'd be like putting it back in the body when implantation is about to naturally occur. So this extra two weeks gets tacked on and that's the difference in what some people call gestational age or embryonic age. But to keep it consistent through all this literature and all these resources, we always date back to your period. And this is also why if you have irregular periods, your pregnancy dates may change if you go in for an early ultrasound. So if your ovulation is not super consistent, somebody might change your dates once they measure a baby because then they're going to know when you actually did in fact ovulate. Okay, well, I hope that answered some of your questions about the luteal phase and implantation and early pregnancy symptoms. And now I want to get to FFS, for fertility's sake, answering your fertility questions. So these are questions that you submitted on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and I want to go answer them for you now. 
So feel free to submit questions when you see the question box up and I will be picking the most common or my favorite to answer every week. So ask away. All right, question number one. I just got diagnosed with PCOS. Any suggestions for helping improve fertility? I love this question. PCOS can be really complicated. It stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And how I like to think about PCOS is that it is your body having a lot of eggs being released from the vault every month because your vault is really crowded. However, the FSH signal from the brain gets distributed and it's too dilute to get any egg to grow. Therefore, they're not making estrogen reliably and the hormone pattern switches to production of testosterone. And this testosterone can lead to insulin resistance and some of the other symptoms. So certainly one of the focuses is to decrease testosterone production and decrease insulin resistance. What studies have shown us is that there are some lifestyle changes that can help with PCOS. Number one, I always recommend really trying to clean up your diet. A diet high in fruits and vegetables, whole grain carbohydrates. You do not have to be keto or gluten-free if you have PCOS. If you're going to eat dairy, full-fat dairy has been shown to be better than skim, probably because it's less processed and has less additives. Sugar and processed and fried foods are not your friends, so please stay away from them. And interestingly, in the Nurses Health Study, every serving of protein that came from vegetables over animals resulted in higher rates of ovulation. So I usually tell people the following. Meatless Monday. Everything you eat Monday, you don't need any meat. The other days of the week, you should have meat with one meal a day. So that is going to force you to at lunch or breakfast or at other meals, include more veggies because you don't have that meat as that mainstay in the meal. And then limit your red meat servings, which appear to be the worst when we stratify out types of meat to only one per week. But you don't have to be gluten-free, you don't have to be dairy-free, and you do not have to do keto. The other thing I like to talk about with PCOS patients is because your hormones are really on edge, you're very sensitive to anything that stresses the adrenal glands, which also make androgens. So things like getting sleep are going to be really important. Things like not doing HIIT, high-intensity interval training, I really recommend more of a moderate exercise. Weight training is amazing, helps neutralize some of those testosterone levels, and helps combat insulin resistance when you have some muscle. And then certain supplements may be able to help as well. So I usually recommend a prenatal vitamin with folic acid, some additional vitamin D, a CoQ10, consideration for myo-inositol, and then potentially metformin, depending on your entire clinical situation. But you should not take any supplements or medications without talking to your doctor so that you understand interactions. Question two, as an REI, do you still do deliveries for your patients or does another OB do them? I love this question. I do not deliver babies. The last baby I delivered was in 2013. I still remember it very clearly. I help people get pregnant I monitor the early pregnancies till about eight to nine weeks pregnant. And then I send you back to your OBGYN who's going to take over the rest of your prenatal care and deliver your baby. And then if you need me, you're going to come back to me for the next pregnancy. So I get to be here during some of those hard moments when you wish you weren't having infertility struggles or during some of those moments where we're growing your family, but I do not deliver babies. And it's something that I at one point wondered if I would miss, but to be honest, I love my job so much. I love walking in this vulnerable space and I do not miss delivering the babies at all. Question number three, can you take OCPs to extend your fertility? 
I absolutely wish this was a thing, but it is not. So what happens when you take the birth control pill or oral contraceptive pills? They have both estrogen and progesterone in them. They are telling the brain to stop sending out FSH, that normal hormone that's being secreted to grow an egg. However, what's happening from the ovary? All those eggs are released from the vault. None of them get stimulated to grow. All of them die. And the next month, another group comes out just the same. So the oral birth control pill does not change your fertility at all. It doesn't make it worse. You do not run out of eggs faster, but it also does not prolong your fertility. You're just not ovulating, so you won't get pregnant. And question number four, is it normal to feel cramps and bloating while ovulating? It definitely is not abnormal. So let's just think in our body really quickly what's happening when you ovulate. That follicle, which has grown to be about two centimeters in size, filled mostly with fluid and a tiny microscopic egg, is going to burst. It's going to rupture. That's how the egg comes out of it. You're also then going to get the fluid to come out of it. So you can have that fluid come out. It can be crampy as that egg is coming out, as that follicle is rupturing. You also can be really bloated from these very high estrogen levels. This is why people get bloated during IVF because when your estrogen is really high, it's actually causing some of the water to like leak out of your blood vessels and get in those other areas. That's why we call it water weight. And you might be really thirsty or feel dehydrated, but you're puffy and bloated at the same time and crampy because you just had a cyst, otherwise known as a follicle, that ruptured on your ovary to allow for ovulation. So yes, cramps, bloating while ovulating can all be perfectly normal. And don't forget to ask your questions on Instagram for FFS when you see the question box for fertility's sake. Thank you all for listening to As A Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. And check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford, MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.